Welcome to Unedited. It's our off-season mini-series. It features the raw interviews I've previously done with other podcast hosts, stories that have ended up as published features at Under the Radar's magazine website. A lot of the conversation, however, doesn't make it onto the page or story, but people are often very interested in what a tastemaker such as Jason Bentley, our guest today, might have to say. The number of times that I've pulled into a car park and not gotten out because I was listening to an interview that Jason was doing with The National or Ezra Furman, or I wanted to hear a song finish so that I could figure out who this new indie artist was or what the name of the song was. Those moments have been countless since moving to LA and becoming a KCRW supporter. So I was a little sad when Jason left in late 2019, but he's now got a new role. He's become a father of twin boys, and he now has a new podcast. So that's exciting. So here's an opportunity for you to sit in on our interview and find out about the backstory, Jason's new podcast, but also what else he's been working on. Did you know he has ambitions to do more than just curate? He wants to be a creator too. Will we hear a Jason Bentley song over the airways in the future? Maybe. Let's find out. Hello. Good morning. Is that Jason? Yes. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Happy New Year. Um, yeah, you used to DJ the KCRW New Year's Eve parties, um, and I think I've always wanted to go, but I have kids at home, <laughs> so it's never been possible. Uh, but this year, how did you say goodbye to 2020 and see in 2021? Oh my God, I'm slightly embarrassed to say I was probably I was in bed by 10 o'clock. I think um, I, I've just had twin boys, so uh, my wife and I have just been uh, overwhelmed and. Um, we put them down and we tried to tolerate some of the television coverage and it was just so terrible. Um, I, I guess I just threw in the towel. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely the, the quietest New Year's that I can remember. You know, being a DJ, like you mentioned, I've always had work and it's actually the, probably the most lucrative night of the year for a DJ. You're so in demand and, um, so yeah, as, as long back as I can remember, I've I've worked and I've sort of been an MC and presided over the countdown. So I guess I've gotten my share in the past, and it, it's fine to have an off year. Nice. Um, so um, congratulations first on your twins, yeah, and uh, secondly on backstory. Um, I've heard four episodes now, um, and with each episode, I think I've enjoyed it a little bit more. I'm not sure if it's because of the format or because it's become more familiar, um, you know, or that there's something thematically about the guests and the things that you've discussed that have resonated more with me. Um, but when did you first start talking about Backstory as a podcast and how has it sort of evolved? Because presumably the seed of the idea was planted in a completely different world, one before like pandemic wreaked havoc with all of our lives. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I've gotten more comfortable with the format uh, as we've gone along. Um, I think initially it was just a big adjustment to get a handle on it, all the particulars, um, 
the fact that we're doing these conversations online. There's there's sort of an intrinsic awkwardness with uh, these online chats. Is you don't have the benefit of of being in person and and just seeing body language and and demeanor. So um, so yeah, and, and also you know the sense of you know what am I trying to represent? Am I representing? Soho House as, you know, my, my partner, is it more about, you know, my interests and, and sort of getting a, a, a sense of that has taken a little time. And I think that's natural. Uh, the conversation about the podcast actually goes back a couple years with Soho House. And, um, you know, it's just informal talks about what was possible. And then the pandemic really fast tracked production. I think for Soho House, they were looking to um, you know, build uh, a greater, a stronger relationship with their membership uh, during a time when people couldn't come to the actual physical locations. So um, they asked me initially at the earlier part of this, uh, of 2020, they asked me to um, host a few online interviews that they put on, on their website. And so that was sort of the precursor to it. And then um things became more formal. Wow. So it was initially going to be launched a bit later and, and pandemic actually pushed it forward? I think so. I mean, you know, with some significant changes, the idea two years ago was to do these in person and, and to kind of represent the experience of going to a Soho house and, and what that is. Um, I'm still very interested in that. And I hope we can come back to that soon, you know, just like a lot of things. Um, But I would love to create a listening experience for the audience where it just feels immersive, you know, where it feels like the audience is invited to the table. And that would include um, any kind of spontaneous activity, whether it's chatter in the room or someone unexpectedly stopping by the table to say hello. I mean, things that just happen when you're, when you're there, mm-hmm. uh, meeting drinks or having lunch. And I wanted to kind of embrace all of it. Um, I also find that um, much more interesting than, the, you know, the, the kind of the standard uh, interview format mm-hmm. um, is to create this immersive experience. Yeah, I totally agree. I can just imagine like glasses clinking and people I mean it's a nightmare to Mike <laughs> but um, it's so much more interesting I guess um, the the podcast space is also like increasingly more and more crowded and I imagine like chat podcasts like your regular Q&A's being the easiest format for like entry-level podcasts it's even more so so how did you think about backstory in terms of adding value to the larger conversations in our culture rather than just adding to the noise hmm. I think it comes through the curation of, of the guests uh, we have. Um, and um, that's been a greater challenge, but it's been worth it. Um, you know, finding um, uh, two guests who are from slightly different areas, you know, really different, different experiences, not necessarily on the same project at the time mm. um, and finding that common, that common ground is when things get interesting and when things are also uh, distinct from a lot of the podcasts that are that are out there. So, I think I think curation is really the key word, and and that's also the way that we represent Soho House uh, as an experience and as a brand. You know, it's it's just a highly curated 
experience when, when you go. Mm-hmm. So you have um, Paul Feig and Margaret Cho talk about marginalized communities and you have Rosalind Chow and Justin Min talk about Asian American representation in film. Um, it seems like you're using your platform, you know, as a, as a KCRW DJ and create, creative director, music director rather, for more than a decade. People know you, right? And you're a radio celebrity, but it seems like you're using this platform for kind of like a greater good to to shine a light on maybe issues that you feel are important and and this must be the same issues that are important for a place like Soho House as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, credit goes to our guests. I mean, I, I, you know, these are these are their priorities as as well. Mm-hmm. And um you know, we're just we're just exploring that more. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, these are these are important conversations to to have. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I think selfishly, um, I look at this opportunity to grow um, and really to dive in and, and understand the human story in all of this. Um, you know, I think that's the dream with any any job is to feel uh, to feel challenged to grow and to um, to embrace new ideas. And so I'm I'm really indulging along the way. Um, my background, as you know, at KCRW as a music director, has been all music related. I mean, I've I've interviewed um, many many musicians um, over the years, but you know these these are actually very different guests. These are directors and comedians and actors and. You know, it's not necessarily in my my wheelhouse. I mean, mm. I, I I guess I have a lot of good experience uh, with the interview format that I can I can look to, but um, but no, it's been it's been an interesting challenge and one that I've really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So, be, being an indie music mag ourselves and a music podcast, I did find episode four uh, featuring Terence Blanchard and Camp House like a particularly illuminating conversation because a lot of it revolved around music. But they're also both involved in the upcoming Regina King-directed film One Night in Miami. Mm. Um, I'm so excited about the film because it just centers around this amazing real-life meeting between four giants like Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Jim Brown, and as Kemp mentions, the Sam Cooke of it all. Have you seen the film? Yes, yes, uh, of course. And... um yeah, I'm, I'm so proud of that that episode. It's it's um, it's my favorite of the lot. I mean, you know, obviously you shouldn't pick favorites. I've had fun with everyone, but I just feel like um, I'm really getting um, a rhythm. And um, I just, yeah, I dove into that. I wasn't really familiar with Kemp Powers, and and really to to uh, research his story, um, you know, writing this play years mm-hmm. ago. Um, and really standing by that project and bringing it to the screen, um, you know, what it means to adapt uh, a, a play into into a film and have it kind of work. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also, you know, I loved Soul, which is such a great movie. I don't know if you've had a chance to see yeah, it. Yeah, I have. But, um, it's lovely. And, um, and so I really enjoyed talking to him. And, you know, it was also funny because they hadn't met before. They they talk about how they were on a, a random conference call with a bunch of people at one point, but that was it. So I really felt like we uh, enabled them to kind of connect for the first time, even though they've collaborated on, the, on this project, One Night in Miami, which is a brilliant and important film. And uh, yeah, I you, you definitely have to see it. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I feel like um, I don't know uh, what kind of hand you have in like picking who the guests are, but for me, it felt like there was so much more intention to it. You know, um, like did George Floyd affect the kind of conversations you wanted to have? I mean, because I feel as more Americans discover like our own biases and the extent of the sort of institutional racism that we're all waking up to there's been like a real growth and appetite for like lived in stories for of african americans like like ma rainey on netflix or even bridgerton i'm not sure about the sort of historical inaccuracies <laughs> but i did find say let's say like um little women it was Little Women was like very vanilla to me. And I, I'm sure it hews very close to the times and, um, you know, the actual story. But at the same time, I feel like we have shifting tastes at the moment. And like I found like the great with Elle Fanning, you know, with its more diverse cast and also taking liberties with the writing was like absolutely exciting to watch. Um, and I guess that's what I found like the most interesting about um, episode four with Terence Blanchard and Cam Powers is it was particularly potent because he was saying things, and I think you you raised the question about his father and being involved with doing an opera. I mean, that's just like breaking stereotypes of like the male. I know, <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was wonderful. I mean, I think for me, it speaks to the power of of stories and their ability to. Uh, you know, change people's uh, views and perceptions of the world. And, um, you know, I think with, with Kemp and Terrence, they both speak to, you know, the, the power of human stories and, and representing those, those ideas uh, to the benefit of, of society. And so I think these are, these are little ways that you can advance the conversation and make a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh- through the rest, I don't know how many episodes you've got left, but will we hear sort of any black female voices like your Regina Kings and Shonda Rhimes or even Viola Davis? She always has such interesting things to say about like her accomplishments as opposed to like white peers like your Meryl Streep and Julianne Moore. I, I mean, like I feel I don't know if you have anybody else like that on your current episodes coming up. I mean, the holiday season has kind of slowed our role. Um, so I don't have anything that that's confirmed, confirmed. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of exciting um, opportunities, um, but we're going to have to wait and see on on that. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I think we'll <clears throat> we'll continue with some of the the kind of exciting progress we've made with with the series. And we'll have a total of, I believe, eight episodes in the first season. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I guess we'll talk about um, a second season, hopefully. I mean, I, like I mentioned earlier, I would love to bring it back to the in-person experience um, post-pandemic, of course. And then I'd also like to represent the unique sonic signature of different Soho houses around the world. I mean, they've got locations in, you know, far-flung uh, cities. And so selfishly, I'd love to go and, and sit down with people there. Uh, so fingers crossed on that part of the idea. Um, I have to credit also our partners at 101 Studios who produce the podcast. And they really do uh, a lot of the, the legwork on booking. 
they have um, a lot of leverage as a studio that makes TV shows and films. They have a lot of leverage with high power publicists. And so they're able to get some of these, these guests that I, if I was working independently, I just would not get a call back on, you know, so um, credit to them and they're doing a great job. And I know they'll come up with some uh, really inspired ideas going forward. Interesting. Um, so what's sort of been the biggest obstacle in perhaps doing this podcast, which might now have like become one of its strengths? Mm. Oh, well, I think um, initially I felt that the, the, um, the, mul- the multi-guest format was going to be unnecessarily difficult. Um, I was so much more familiar with the, the one-to-one conversations. And I also felt like it, um, kind of eliminated some opportunities. Like what if there was someone we could get, you know, one-on-one and that was an important deep dive. Let's just do that. But, uh, they, you know, Soho house and one-on-one really stuck to their guns as far as like, no, this is the idea. And then now in retrospect, I think that they're right. I, I, I mean, I really have, have come to enjoy, uh, the, the uniqueness of the format. So that's become a strength. Um, also, I think that we've made the very best of the of the online stuff, you know. Um, I think it it makes more people available um, and and from uh, faraway places, you know, they can just come online so much easier. So there's certain things that we've just had to adapt to, which which have become uh, strengths for for the show at the same time. Mm, cool. Um, so you you were at um, KCRW for a long time, and you mentioned um, on your way out that the intention was always to move out of public media, public service, and into more of the private sector, while also being able to focus on your kids and building a family. What do you see the difference in, in inhabiting a public media and a private sector space? Mm. Well, I think in um, in public media, you have so much creative freedom, but you don't have uh, the resources. (laughs) Um, And so that's a wonderful thing, but um, you know, to have the, um, the sort of sponsorship, the backing, the influence uh, in the private sector um, makes, it makes a huge difference when you're trying to um, really create some, some noise, you know, get some attention in, in the media landscape. It really helps to have some, some big interests, um, behind you. Um, so that part I do appreciate. Um, you know, I think there's just something to being in that, um, that ecosystem. Um, but yeah, again, you know, it's a beautiful thing in public media to have all the creative freedom. I mean, you're, you're kind of expected, uh, to go and, and, and uncover these, uh, wonderful obscurities and bring them to light and nurture them. And so over the years at KCRW, it became almost routine for us to uh, identify and develop some of the finest artists of our time in the, in the music space. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, artists that you'd, you'd think, wait, what, you know, like Adele, you know, Adele's first stateside performances on radio were at KCRW, her interviews, her sessions, you know, and I don't know if she'd, she'd remember us now, but um, I hope she does. Um, but anyway, artists at the, at the highest level of popular culture really get, the, get their start in an environment where there aren't the same kind of commercial constraints. You know, there aren't people 
the the bean counters aren't questioning you. Um, you have complete freedom to be uh, passionate, to act on your passions for music. So that's a wonderful thing, but it's just different um, with you know the the private sector. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a as a podcast, it's interesting for me to hear that you sort of put your hand up uh, about composing music for the show. Um, I, I do a little bit of sound design and, and, and as a independent producer trying to like license music, is like such a headache, but it's really kind of open up avenues for like creativity that I never knew I could do. Have you enjoyed that aspect of podcasting or, or you know, kind of doing that sort of music for yourself or for the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I just, um, I think like a lot of people, uh, during the pandemic, uh, it's important to stay creative and and productive and just looking for opportunities to express yourself. You know, we're sort of in this um, in this this uh, state of you know arrested development. We're all kind of stuck stuck at home. Um, so I you know I, I was looking for these these small opportunities to just kind of you know noodle and 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 work on uh, my skills in production. Uh, so uh, I've I've learned a, a um, program called Ableton Live, and um, I just started kind of working on ideas. And I mean, it's 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 low stakes because really for for the podcast, what's called for are just kind of simple music beds. So it wasn't like I needed to kind of produce a a, a pop record or something. You know? <laughs> but like it was really intentionally, it was just simple melodies and simple production. So. I kind of felt like I can do that. So let's, let's take a whack at it. And I also didn't have an ego about it. You know, I made sure that everyone involved knew that if it wasn't working or wasn't a good idea, then that's fine. You know, I, I'm just kind of trying my hand and I'm an amateur. Um, I mean, a lot, a lot of, a lot of this idea of moving from, from the public media space to, to the, you know, the private sector is more about, um, ownership of my own ideas and creativity, however small. Um, and so it's been kind of a, um, an evolution for me personally from a, um, from being a, a curator, uh, a respected curator to a, a creator and, and, and ownership of that creativity. That's been important to me at, at every level. So even in this small way, in this small example of, of writing music beds for the podcast, that's just been important to me. Because mm-hmm. there's this huge conversation uh, in the public radio space about IP at the moment that's going on as well. Um, so it, that's interesting. Um, but you've also kind of moved from playing other artists to like recently you've done remixes um, and also now to like you said, really becoming an artist yourself, um, and you're and you're composing. Are you composing your own music as well? Yeah, I'm, I'm just. I mean, you know, they're all sort of demo work in progress ideas. But I'm I'm kind of swapping the time that I would spend auditioning submissions for air for radio airplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've traded that time and that discipline every day. Maybe it's two three hours for just trying to sit and and write and get into a space where um, I'm fluent with a musical idea. I mean, the thing about kind of working on your own and being self-taught with it and working on, on, on a computer is that initially I find that things kind of stay on a grid 
And you want to transcend that grid. You want to get to a place where you're just, whatever idea you're working on has a fluidity and it's moving and it's emotional and it's original. And so uh, you've kind of got to just keep at it and just keep working. It's, it's, I suppose, a lot like, you know, painting something or sketching something or writing. I mean, it's any, any kind of creative discipline. You've just got to kind of set aside the time and, and keep doing it and trying to get a place that is transcendent. You, you've, I mean, like, I think um, you've always been a fan of music and I know you've been a, a record collector with your dad from, you know, from a very young age. And also you wanted to work in radio, but why has it taken you sort of this long to kind of attempt composing your own music? Is it just the sheer time of it all? Uh, yeah, I think um, I'm a really, uh, I gravitate to routines and I'm very disciplined about it. And being involved in KCRW was was just 110% for me. Um, and also, I think I, I kind of set the bar really high with music um, since I was in a position of judging others, you know, <laughs> the, the quality of other people's music. I, I also kind of set that standard on my, on myself. Um, I almost felt like, well, you know, I could never do this. You know, I could never do it at the level that I would be happy. And, and then also, yeah, the time that it takes, um, I think you really have to apply yourself. I think I just have so much respect for, for that creativity for music that, I just never thought I always, I always felt like it was some something out of reach, you know, but yeah, I mean, the process of, of um, turning my attention to it and taking the time um, and just realizing that there's millions and millions of people that make music and there's no reason why I can't, even though I don't have, you know, formal training, I can still by ear, I can still work it out and um, come up with something. And then maybe there's a point where I share those ideas with other people who can, can help realize that. And so, you know, I think I just needed to do it on my own terms and, and on my own time. I'm also very much a control freak. You know, <laughs> I, I need to be involved in, in everything that I'm working on. And so I, I guess I just needed to go through it, you know, and take the time. So would you say that you've always maybe harbored a secret desire to make music rather than just always play it? Or was it something that came on later? No, I think, I think the, the best indication of that is the fact that I've always mixed records, you know, and, and, and mixing records to a certain extent is like creating something entirely original. Because when you're mixing those records, there's nothing like that combination, you know, mm -hmm. and so um, since I've always gravitated gravitated to electronic music, club music, I mean, club music is kind of a thing where um, the records are made for a certain format, and it's not necessarily radio. <laughs> it's more the club environment, that sound system, that kind of sonic range. The records are made to be played in that environment and they're tools for the DJ to, to mix. And you've got, you know, you've got your mixer, you've got a range of things that you can use to influence that, whether it's looping or filtering or EQing. And I've always been drawn to those ideas, even as a child, I think, you know, we, we go over as a child to go visit someone's house and I'd go directly to their amplifier and, and look, start, you know, tweaking knobs and playing with the sound system. 
And so I've always been drawn to that. So I think there's, I think there's a, a, the, the seed of, of a, you know, of a producer or a composer there. It's just, I've, I've had success in that space. And so I've, I've continued to put my attention to mixing records, but, um, but hopefully I can move to using those experiences and that skill set in a new way now. Well, you, you used to say that you would listen to bad music, so we didn't have to. <laughs> so I, I suppose you'll be filtering all of that. <laughs> uh, was there ever a band or an artist that you didn't, you know, you didn't really rate? Or maybe you didn't think they were quite ready yet in your years working um, as a music director. And then like, you know, was there ever a time where you got a band wrong or you got something wrong and they subsequently went on to be big? Or are you just somebody who constantly sort of airs on the side of caution and go like there is something here let's just see because that's part of what you've done with with artists through the years sort of given them the chance as well yeah i mean you've got to step outside yourself a little bit in that process if you are a you know responsible as a music director you, you have to appreciate that it's not about you entirely you're you're trying to um represent a format or an idea of a station. And that's, that's, that's programming. I mean, music programming is creating a, a language that people can understand through uh, patterns, repetitions and support, you know, by, by programming um, an artist. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, of stuff that um, wouldn't necessarily appeal to me personally on my own, you know, in my music room or in my car, I wouldn't necessarily listen to it, mm -hmm. but having an understanding that, that this is an important artist and you should, you know, yeah, you've got to play, you've got to find something to support and to play. Um, so there's that responsibility that comes with the job. And I think I became good at that. Um, you know, a good example is probably the national, you know, I, I don't know that I personally would like that, kind of you know i find it kind of moody and a downer and and sort of like moaning you know <laughs> um but there's a lot there you know and there's so many people that love the national and and Thank also you. yeah yeah no no and, and you know and and i'm i'm friendly with with matt the lead singer who actually is married to a woman who i went to junior high school and oh, yeah. High school yeah corinne um, and they live right in my neighborhood in Venice. So there's a lot of like supporting things. So I'm not trying to knock them at all, but it's just a great example of a, of a premier artist in the indie music space that, you know, I, I would have to, I, I don't know if I'd really be into them so much on my own, but I can't deny them. It's, it's so interesting that you mentioned that because I think, uh, one of the first times that I, um, moved to LA and like six, six years ago and I heard a particular Morning Becomes Eclectic show and you started off with Barbara Streisand and then and then it went to a national or a Father John Misty and then it went to like a completely new indie artist and I just remembered sitting in my car being completely blown away that a sort of like hip radio show that everyone was talking about that I should listen to had this like pointed indie music but were playing like a sentimental Streisand track and and then there was that element of discovery f for like a new artist that I hadn't heard of before and it's sort of what I think 
what radio is about, that kind of it's really democratic about good music and good songwriting that it, you know, leaves genres behind. Um, and I think that sensibility is also what you have now with like backstory. Do you know, it's like bringing, bringing things that seem disparate but there is a common thread to them, except now you're outside of just the space that's um, music. It's 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 sort of yeah, and I and there's like this connective tissue with all these things that you kind of have to uncover. Um, and and for me, as like a, a listener of the podcast, there's things that I've gone on to do now that, um, like I watched the Umbrella Academy because of the episode with um, Rosalind Chow, um, and I also watched Soul because of that. And it was just like, and I'm like, so I'd, I'd heard about the Regina King movie, but it's just sort of like listening to backstory makes you like hip again, you know, to like not just music, but the culture at large, like, okay, these are the things you should be going to pay attention to. So for that, I'm truly grateful. I feel like for you, it's your thing, (laughs) pulling things together and finding a common thread. And you do that with music on so many different levels as well. But it surely is, what's the secret to it? I mean, if you could bottle it, it's like a secret sauce, isn't it? to be able to do that. What, what is it? Is it research? Is it a gut feeling that kind of je ne sais quoi you can't put your finger on? Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, for me, it's, it's curation and that is having a, a, a point of view, you know, um, mm-hmm. and putting that out there. Um, you know, there, there are so many ideas and so much music and so many films and, um, and, and it's, it's like, just presenting a set of ideas that might, might make sense, uh, together, uh, hopefully do. Um, but Hey, I want to thank you for your, your, uh, observations and appreciation of the show. Uh, you know, um, I'm naturally inquisitive, you know, I, I am interested in, in the human story. Um, it's funny because as far as interviewing, it's just something that's come with the, the job. I, I wouldn't say that I'm naturally a, a people person. Um, I, but, um, but I am very interested in people's, um, people's journey. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's about putting these ideas together and, and it's a skill set I think that speaks to, to just curation of popular culture. I've, I've always been, you know, interested in the underground and, and subcultures and, you know, music is so related to that, but also like when you, when you visit a, a city, you know, I'm looking at graffiti, I'm, I'm trying to find the secret messages, like what, what's the conversation on the street level? That's always been something interesting to me. So I think I'm, I'm trying to find hints of that in, in a lot of these conversations. Cool. Um, so this will bring me to the last question, which is uh, the cocktail in this equation, right? So I know it's about like satisfying a sponsor and all the rest of that, but at the same time, Zoom cocktails has been such a real thing. And, um, and um, you know, I think my husband did some conference and they sent a box of like cocktail kits that were sent in the mail during lockdown. And then he had to like make cocktail with them in the UK or something. And so that's been like a real highlight for us. Oh, what box can we get? And, you know, or what cocktails can we mix? And we have been doing cocktail hours, even now when everybody's a little bit, uh, you know, tired of Zoom. But 
did you do a cocktail for each episode? And I want to tell you that I actually bought um, uh, the Elderflower Saint Germain. <laughs> And I actually like printed out a, cup, a couple of recipes and I said to my husband, the next time we've got these cocktail recipes, we should make this. And it was because I had seen it and I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I never heard of this cocktail before. Yeah, I mean, we, we benefit from a, a sponsor and that's Ducey Cognac. And so um, I've done, uh, I did a, a fun little um, Zoom thing with uh, their brand ambassador. His name's Sullivan Doe. He's just the coolest guy you could imagine, a uh, French guy. And um, I was a complete disaster. You know, I, I just could not figure out how to make the cocktails. But for him, it was effortless. And yeah, I mean, it's it's been fun. I'm obviously so grateful that we have sponsorship. And um, I'm not a big drinker, so I'm not <laughs> one to be making a lot of cocktails. Um, but I totally appreciate the usefulness of spirits uh, these days. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you so much. Um, I think the only question I didn't get to ask was um, what we can expect about the Top Gun soundtrack, but it sounds like it's still a bit further off to even talk about. <laughs> it is. It is. And I'm, I'm done with that now. So I, you know, I, I don't know the fate of a lot of those ideas. Um, so yeah, it's been rescheduled for next year sometime. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. And when all this is ready, we'll send it off to the publicist and all that. And maybe one day in the not too distant future, we'll see you at Soho House. Yes. Thank you. That was lovely. There's a link in our show notes to the backstory. While there, you may also find a link to our small Facebook group. Leave any questions you may have for me there about guests, about music, thoughts you might have had about something you liked or didn't like. I'd love to hear from you while I work on episodes for season two. Well, till next time, stay safe out there. <laughs> <laughs>